0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker.
1: Well, I know that Young has kind of already introduced Christian completely, um, but I'll still come up here and try to do my job. Um... Christian, you've been with uh, Sojourners now for two and a half years. Oh, wow, greenhouse. Whew. <laughs> Young got that in my head. Uh, two and a half years, and uh, heading off to get married in California yes. in a uh, less than a month now. Three, four weeks? January 7th. January 7th. Okay. And uh, Christian's uh, presently training at Moody Bible Institute, my uh, alma mater. I'd like to say that he was following in my footsteps, but um, he's not which is probably good for him. And uh, he's actually at the M, in the MDiv part where I was actually in undergrad. Uh, Christian has uh, really been trying hard this semester to get to know students. Uh, I believe he sent care packages, which I don't think they've received in a while. So if you're in uh, college and you've been here and you're like, hey, where's my care package? You see him afterwards. Uh, I didn't get one either, but that's okay. I'm not in college. Uh, he's going to talk to us uh, through the first chapter of Ruth. Our Father, we just uh, thank you for the way you reveal yourself, the way you speak to us, and how much it is your desire to draw us near to you that we might know life and know it to the full. I ask now that you would speak into Christian's heart and mind, as you have been doing uh, all week long, that you would give him a, a sense of your leading, your direction, and your power. Speak to us, Father. May we understand your grace more fully, in ways that redeem us from our choices that are wrong. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning.
0: Get some water before I start. I think many of you can relate to with what I'm going to say to you. Um, There are many lessons in life that we learn in our early years, right? Do not touch hot things or you'll get burned. Do not stick your head between those railings or you might get your head stuck. Um, Do not swallow your food without chewing or you might choke. Do not disobey mom and dad. Well, back when I was a little booger about, Yay, hi, three or four. Um, I learned this lesson the hard way. I remember the car my dad drove back then. It was a 1976 Toyota Corolla. (laughs) It had a glistening brown color to it. Vinyl seats, AM and FM stereo. 55 horsepower, get that? four-speed transmission. I watched my dad drive that thing every day. Man, it was a monster of a machine. First gear, oh yeah. Second gear, third gear, then fourth gear. I knew that thing in and out. It was amazing. I wanted to be just like dad. I wanted to drive that car. One day, well, I had my opportunity. Um, my dad stopped right in front of our home. Uh, He had to get something. And um, as he was taking the keys out of the ignition, he said, son, do not touch anything. (laughs) Well, I heard that suggestion. and, um, (laughs) And I was, right when he left, I was like, oh, man, just to pretend that I'm driving. So I climbed over into the driver's seat. <laughs> and and I, I, was, I was pretending I was driving, and I was like, oh, this is, this is so awesome. And then I remember, I saw my dad do the shifter thing. Maybe I could do that too. So I was in first gear, it wouldn't move, and I just jammed it out of first right into neutral. You see, um, the parking lot that we, we were at, um, it had a little, little slope to it. So, so I put it in neutral and I was trying to get the second, but then I noticed I'm moving. So I'm moving slowly, rolling down this hill. And I was like, um, okay, what do I do? What do I do? So I said, I'll try to break, but my legs are too short at three. <laughs> so I can't, I can't do anything. Um, I tried to steer out of the way, but you know, with the ignition out, you know, the wheel just kind of locked. So the last thing I had was cry my eyes out <laughs> and just scream right so as i'm screaming down the down the way i i, I, I think i may might have gone like five miles per hour or slower than that but then i was crying i was like what do i do what do i do and, and then this uh baby blue car stopped me um i just crashed right into it and and this woman who saw this came running down to see if i, I was okay and then my dad shortly followed after and um there was a dent to that car from the very beginning to remind me of my uh, Disobedience. Why did this incident happen to me? Well, because I didn't listen to Dad. I was disobedient. Well, I want to share with you all a story that started with a family's disobedience that resulted in a few tragedies. But ultimately, it ends victoriously for both you and me. If you have your Bibles handy, let's turn to the book of Ruth. It's a small book that, that could be missed. And actually, uh, it's strange that, that this book is called Ruth because she's not really the main character of this book. Um, if I didn't know that the book was called Ruth and I read it, I would have called it maybe the Chronicles of Naomi. You know, but um, Ruth reads a, a lot like a story. And I would love to go into details of how Ruth was one of, one of the very poetic books of the Bible. I would love to go into detail. Oops, that's not my notes. I'd love to go into the detail about the whole book of Ruth and how God had to bring this family back to Bethlehem. I would love to go into detail detail about the love story between Ruth and Boaz and, and, and the moves he made on Ruth. You know, um, baby, you could glean in my barley fields any day. <laughs> you know, I would love to talk about. Boaz and his business smarts and and buying a field. I would love to go over this genealogy at the end of the book. But I don't have time to go all over this. I'll touch points here and there, but I'll cover some of it, but not everything. I want to focus mainly on chapter one. First glance, the first chapter seems pretty ordinary. For those of you who have read the book of Ruth, you probably just glanced over it as, as information there's so much in this first chapter that, that I believe that understanding the, the first chapter of this book will paint the whole picture of, of the rest of the book and it will just bring it to light. You know, um, I love baseball. Um, however, um, I understand how a, a person would hate the game. It's so boring, right? You look at it, and this guy's throwing the pitch, guy hits it, guy fields it. And, but, but... That's because you don't understand what's going on. <laughs> you know, y- y- if you look at the order, the batting order, like first through ninth hitter, they're specifically strategically put there, you know, the the importance of a fastball, you know, how it sets up other pitches to, to, to the batter, because they don't know what's coming out. You know, every pitch looks the same at first glance. But, you know, I, I remember I, I talked to my fiancé about this, and um, that's why she married me. Or she's going to marry me. But, um, but it, it's, it's awesome once you, once you get to know the details. So let's just go into this book. And, and hopefully that I could point out these, these little nuances in this book. And we'll just open it up to us. You know, God, the first point. God extends his grace in times of our disobedience. Let's actually look at the first book the first verse. Um, it paints a, a pretty vivid picture. This this was a tough time. I actually think that the understanding of this first verse, actually, in this first chapter, opens up a lot. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Well, what what information can we get out of this passage? Well, let's... Let's get into the background a little bit. In the days when the judges ruled, the first part, Israel was God's chosen nation. The Israelites were, were saved from the oppression of Egypt under Pharaoh's rules. And, and God just saved them. God is the one who guided them and sustained them in, into the, through the wilderness and the desert. He provided them with manna to eat. He provided everything for them. Understanding the context of the judges is significant. The people needed judges when the Israelites were disobedient. They were unfaithful. They were evil. The Israelites, they just wanted their own way. They quickly forgot that it was God who delivered them. That it was God who saved them. That it was God who provided for them. From being this enslaved nation, being under this oppressive rule, They thought that their way was better than God's. They became enslaved to the other nations around them through tremendous opposition or or oppression. Then they cried out to God, and God, in his grace, raised up these judges to rescue them. But after they were rescued, they continued to go back in their sinful ways. And we see this back and forth, back and forth in the book of Judges. There's your lights are. Oh, Lord, we're so sorry. And God God saves them. And they go back in their sinful ways and go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And this goes back and forth, back and forth. So the days of the judges, it highlights the fickleness and disobedience of Israel. Let's look at the next part of verse 1. There was a famine in the land. Purely natural perspective. We'll look at a famine as there's a drought. The rains weren't good. So the crops weren't good, so the farming wasn't great, and 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 that, that led to hunger and 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 so on and so on. But if we look in the biblical perspective, what does a famine mean? Famine usually means some sort of judgment or discipline on a nation. Famine, diseases, insects, and so forth are often connected with some kind of discipline. In biblical, in biblical times, a harvest was also equated with times of blessing. But a famine was clearly a time of judgment, clearly a time of discipline. We could pretty much see throughout the Bible that God does not stand still when his people are disobedient. Let's move on to the next part of the verse. A man of Bethlehem, which also means, Bethlehem means the house of bread. This man was an Israelite. He was one of God's people. He was an Israelite through and through. He, he even had a clan of his own called the Ephrathites. I had trouble saying that word a lot. But the Ephrathites, amongst his people, his identity was chosen. This man was significant in his hometown. And we move on quickly. They all went to the country of Moab. What do we know about this country of Moab and the Moabites who were in this country? We find in Deuteronomy 23.3, that they were forbidden to enter into God's presence. It says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. These people were not allowed to worship with the Lord. Their group was not of God. They probably worshipped other gods and did not fear the God of Israel. Not only that, but there was a big tension between the Moabites and the Israelites. The two nations didn't really get along. Now let, let's put it all together and let's read this. And we'll continue on to uh, verse 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Do you kind of see it now? I would say that Elimelech and his family, they were just being flat out disobedient to God. You know, put it, putting it in this way, it's like, yeah, um, I know that God, it's forbidden to go there, but I'm just going to go check it out. You know, uh, I heard there's food there. You know, uh, you know and and, and uh, let 's just go into this land, hey, family, come along with me, but you know what this this land is it's pretty cool, so let 's just live here you know, so you see this straight up disobedience to God let's say you were punished and you are sent to your room, or parents let's say you punish your kids and they're sent to their room you wouldn't let your children starve or Die of thirst, would you? Not really. <laughs> um, maybe I mean you'd give them something to eat and drink if they're hungry. Maybe not prime rib and a shake or something like that, but you would still sustain them. But instead, let's say I'm the kid. Instead of asking my parents for a drink of water when I'm thirsty, I I take out my bed sheets, I make a rope, I put it out the window, I climb down and. And I call my guy. It's like, hey, dude, you have my fake ID. And I get this fake ID. And I go to the nearby bar. And he's like, dude, I want a glass of water. You know, as ridiculous as that sounds, this is pretty much what they did. They went out of God's household where he's been providing for them. They straight up sinned. They left to look for sustenance by themselves. But also, wouldn't it change if your son, or if I said sorry? Things would kind of change. I believe that God would have sustained Elimelech and his family if they either stayed put, or accepted whatever discipline that was coming their way, or even just turned back to him. What parent wouldn't show mercy to a sorrowful and repentant? In recent news, Rod Blagojevich was straight-up defiant until his sentence was laid out. After he was accused of selling the Senate seat, he went on to The Apprentice. He went on to various talk shows. He just denied that what he did was wrong. He milked his instant fame. He was in denial of his guilt. He didn't want to accept what he was doing wrong. Now, of course, after the sentence of 14 years, he He's remorseful. He's sorry. It's like, oh, what I did was wrong. You even look at this judge. He said, if he just fessed up in the beginning, I would have been more lenient to him. But he was just straight up defiant. And we find this here. Elimelech and his family could have turned back. But instead, they disobeyed. What happens next? Let's first look at verses 3 through 5. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpan, the, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons. And her husband. Naomi lost her husband. Sorry to say that God's mercy ran out on Elimelech. His time was up. Now. The decision was up to her. If we look at this, as a story started out in verse 1, Naomi was a, the wife of Elimelech. After his death in chapter th- uh, verse 3, Elimelech was the husband of Naomi. You, you see that switch. The, the power transfer happened. It, it's like calling Procter and Gamble, Gamble and Procter. <laughs> you know, there was a switch. There was a power transfer. She was a new head of the household and could have returned back to Bethlehem. Do I go back where God wants me to be? Or do I continue on this path that we are on now? Naomi made a bad decision to stay. I think as a result, she lost her two children. What a tragedy. God allowed all of her security, the hopes of a family, it all disappeared. It's pretty harsh. That's the end of her bloodline. It stops right there. But we'll see the significance of this a little later. Which leads me to point two. God extends his grace through pain and darkness. God extends his grace through pain and darkness. You know, do we have any Runners here, I know that my uh, brother Luke is a runner, and there might be other runners here. But but when you start to run, what happens when things get harder, difficult? When you don't want to run anymore, you'll never build endurance. You'll never enjoy it. You'll never really experience what running is like. But what happens when you stretch through the pain and difficulties? You'll build up that endurance. You'll start to enjoy it. You'll experience it. You know, as you can tell, I'm a runner. But uh, there, there was one time um, where um, I ran with a team of, of missionaries or short-term missions. And um, we, we were training, and we had to train all together. And, and so we were running and running and running and running. And, and I remember at one point, I'm like, I can't go on. I can't go on. I'm just too tired. I'm too tired. I, I, I don't want to stop. But... But the, the team kept going, so I tried to keep up. I tried to keep up. And then after a few minutes, after we were done with the run, I just had this sudden burst of energy. And I want to run more and run more. And, you know, I know it was only three miles, but, you know, you've you got to give me some credit. But, um, but you know, that, that's, I guess it's the runner high. I don't know. I, I think it's probably more than that. But you never really experience it until you get through it. It's like playing guitar. You know, at first it hurts so much because you haven't developed that callus. But after you start playing over and over again, it becomes so much easier. But further, let's, let's really look at this emotional pain and darkness that Naomi endured. Verses 3 through 5 again. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Both Malone and both Malon and Helion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She lost the people that were very significant in her life. As mentioned earlier, she lost her security and part of her identity in those deaths. This was a very male-dominated society. The man carried the family name. The man provided sustenance so his family could live. The man provided security and reputation. She lost everything. I don't want to take this part lightly. There's pain involved. This was my struggle the, the past few weeks as I was thinking and, and praying about this message. Some people in this very church right now in this room are going through so much pain. So much darkness, I can't even understand. I haven't experienced what some of you have experienced. And I know that it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. Pain is real. It's all around us. I don't want to minimize this. Naomi lost her husband, Elimelech. Then Naomi lost her son, Malon. Naomi lost her other son, Killian. Think about that. She loses her husband. Then 10 years later, she loses both her sons. That's a painful time. That's some darkness to sit in. I don't think there's a specific amount of time to get over losing a loved one. I don't think there is ever a time where you just get over it. In any case, 10 years is a long time. To deal and and maybe put that pain to rest. Then 10 years later, you have these other tragedies to just, that's it. just want to give up. The pain exponentially increased for Naomi. Pain is real. Darkness is real. Now, I want to say something about this before we move on. Pain can be a result of a few things. First of all, disobedience. Naomi and the family, they were disobedient. They should have moved back. Had they returned earlier, things might have been okay. Or number two, pain is God's way of getting your attention. God brought the loss of her husband. Then 10 years later, the loss of her two sons. Do you have God's attention? Or does God have your attention? Or number three, Pain can be just the result of the sinful world we live in. Sometimes pain and darkness are just because we live in a sinful and broken world. Look at Haiti. Look at Japan. Look at 9-11. Katrina. All painful, painful moments. The truth is we live in a dark, broken I believe that this pain here that we're talking about was a result of disobedience. But This moves us to our final point. God extends his grace in our biggest failures. Let me repeat that. God extends his grace in our biggest failures. God led Naomi take proper steps to repentance. Let's read on. Verses 6 through 14. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. They went on to the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, clung to her. Orpah left, but Ruth clung. Do you see a little shift there? You know, to say Orpah, she didn't make the wrong decision by leaving. Naomi gave her that choice. She took that choice. But Ruth clung to her. I wish So much at this point that Naomi saw her sinful ways at this point and repented. But I can't. I don't think Naomi completely repented. She went back, back to Bethlehem because God had food there. I'm going to look out for myself. We can see this even a little in verse 13 where Naomi is bitter. She's bitter with the Lord for what he did to her. I think the NLT captures this a little better. Verse 13, would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. There are far more, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She was mad. She was angry. At this point, I even think at this point, if Naomi Naomi were sorrowful or, or repentant, That God would have changed his mind. That God would have forgiven her. She refused to see her own sin. But isn't that the beginning of grace? Recognizing our own sin. Recognizing that we've done something wrong. Feeling pain. We we look at disease like leprosy. That's why it's so bad. They can't feel the pain. They can't feel their injury. They don't know when they're injured. Without recognizing their own sinfulness, we think we're okay. There's nothing to be sorry about when we do something wrong. I think this is how Naomi's heart was. But even then, God showed his grace to her. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where I go or for where you go, I go and where you lodge, I will lodge your people shall be my people and your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no, Actually, looking at this, I'm kind of envious of the speech that Ruth gave to Naomi. What a moving speech. What commitment by this daughter-in-law. No strings attached. Just a full commitment. Imagine if somebody came to you, I will go where you go. I will die where you will die. I am not leaving you. What an act grace that God gave to Naomi. But God's grace is revealed through our biggest failures. Ruth stayed with Naomi. She was willing to switch loyalties from her family to worship the God of Israel. But after, even after witnessing what Ruth did, she was still bitter. Let's move on and and look at the text again from verse 19 through 20. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty, thanks to Ruth. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, the Almighty has brought calamity. After all that God has shown, shown Naomi, after all the love and opportunity that he gave her, she still wanted to change her name from Naomi, meaning the pleasant one. Ah, oh, isn't that nice, Naomi. Tomorrow, meaning, meaning bitter. Names define people. She said, call me bitter. My identity is Bitter. Have you ever met that met that kind of person in your life? Someone who's always negative. They just get a promotion. And they come just like, oh man, I can't believe I just got this promotion. There's so much more work now. Or, or let's say you buy your 16-year-old a brand new car and you're expecting, thank you, thank you, thank you. But they look at it and say, why couldn't you give me a red one? The people who actually do cry over spilled milk. Those type of people who always look at the negative things. Not accepting the grace that God is just trying to push forth into your life. If you're not accepting, you could lead down the very same path as Neo. But now, everything was put in place. Remember that God extends his grace even through our biggest failures. Let's look at the last verse of this chapter. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, returned from the, the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Isn't it interesting? The way this, this whole chapter started, there was a famine. It's a time of judges and ended with a harvest beginning. God was committed to feed his people. Stark. Stark famine. But now there's hope. There, there's a little ray of sunshine peering through the window. Things are starting to grow a harvest. I know up until now this this passage doesn't really give you a a warm, fuzzy feeling inside because there's a whole lot of discipline. There's a whole lot of pain going on. But the rest of the book goes like this. I'll just summarize. Um, Boaz, another Ephrathite, courted Ruth. It's the beginning of the harvest and and Boaz came to the scene and took notice of Ruth gleaning in her fields. And, and you know, so, so Boaz, you know, played the, the smooth guy and, and left some barley for her. And, and she, she picked up all this barley and, 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 you know, invite her. Hey, why don't you come eat with me with that barley that you just gleaned? You know, so, uh, you know, what a smooth guy. <laughs> but Naomi took notice that, that Boaz really liked Ruth. So Naomi told Ruth to, Just go after him after following a few instructions. And then at the end, we we notice that Boaz and and Ruth get married. They have a child together. We'll jump to Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Even though it's Ruth's boy, we see grace. Even though this whole book talks about Naomi, it begins with Naomi and ends with Naomi. The book was named after Ruth, the Moabite. Continuing, they named him Obed. He was a father of Jesse, the father of David. Did you catch that? This boy that Ruth gave birth to was a grandfather, of David. And guess who was born? through the many generations, Jesus. Through these people that we studied through the word today, Jesus was born. Do you now see why God had to do what he had to do? Can you catch that? All this pain and suffering, all this discipline isn't without purpose. There's a bigger purpose that that we can't possibly see in the time of our pain. In our time of disobedience, in our time of suffering, in our time of darkness, God has a bigger picture. God used all these faulty people to bring Jesus into the world. Despite all of Naomi's failures, the failures of her husband, God still chose her to bring the Savior into the world. Where are you right now in your life? Do you feel like Naomi? The beginning of this book? Do you feel like you're running away? Turning bitter towards God? God is asking you to come back. Repent. My grace is extending to you. Are you ignoring the consequences and the discipline put in your lives? God is extending His grace to you. Return to the Lord through His grace. Do you feel bitter at God? For the discipline? Do you feel bitter at God for the pain in your life? It's grace that brings us these trials. It's grace that brings us these hardships. It's grace that, that awakens something in us. Maybe I should change. Maybe there's something. It could just be the brokenness of this world. Pray for that. Do you feel unworthy? Insecure? Or even ashamed that God can really use you. Look at Naomi. God used her. The word return in Hebrew is is used 15 times in the book of Ruth. This word return can also mean turnaround or repentance. All 15 instances of this word is used in that first chapter. Turn to the Lord. Turn back to him. Maybe you're thinking of yourself and you're totally checked out because of the pain that you're going through. Maybe you're saying to me, you don't even understand what I'm going through right now. There's just so much going in my life right now. God wants you to turn back. God wants you to pay attention to him. God wants you to accept his grace that he has for you. God knows what you're going through. God's constant call to his people is to return to him, repent, and just soak up that grace that he has for you. Do you see God's grace? I don't want to leave here knowing that you don't see that. Do you see God's grace? He could have easily said, Naomi, forget it. I'm not going to use you. I will move on to someone else. I'll use someone else to bring my son into this world for salvation. But he didn't. He used this family. He chose to use the faulty, broken, torn, ignorant, foolish, weak to display his grace to bring his son to the world. Do you see the light now? Do you see the grace appearing through this? If you are of Him and if you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God has a specific plan in your life. Won't you surrender that to Him? If you're not a Christian, God's plan for you is to join Him in His grace. His plan for you is salvation. He loves you so much. As we head into Christmas, remember that God used us singers to, sinners to bring Christ into the world. Won't you repent and turn and, and let God's light and his grace and mercy shine on you? Remember that God's discipline is part of his grace. God had to use. He had to use extreme discipline. It had to be the way it was. Jesus was born as a result. But as with Elimelech, God's mercy can run run out. As with the two sons, God's mercy can run out. It almost ran out on Naomi. But we actually see that she's actually not mentioned in the the genealogy later in Matthew and Luke. But Ruth and Boaz were. God uses his grace. There is a time when it will be too late. Our existence is limited by time. We don't have forever to receive what God has given to us. Do you feel in need of his grace right now? As long as you have breath in your lungs, God's grace is extended. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. Lord, I can't even begin to imagine how much pain and suffering your people go through day in and day out. But Lord, what I do know is is that your grace is for us. That your grace is extended to us. Lord, in our darkest times, Lord, we know that your light is trying to peer through that window. Father, may we accept that grace into our lives. Jesus, I I pray for those of us who are here. Maybe our hearts are hardened. Maybe we're just not ready to listen to this. Lord, may, may you work in those lives. Lord, I ask, we ask that you soften the heart. Lord, we want to see you. We want to see you, Father. We want to see you. Your glory, your mercy, your grace. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org.